When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to That Gabby Roslin Podcast with me, Gabby Roslin. In this episode, we have two guests who genuinely make the world a better place. First up, we have the fabulous Dorno Porter. She talks about the charity that she set up called Choose Love, helping refugees across Europe, which has now raised a phenomenal £30 million. She speaks openly about her friendship and her grief of losing her best friend, Caroline Flack how she fought off the competition to be with her hilarious husband, Chris O'Dowd, and singing karaoke together at home. And of course, her excellent new book, which I love, Life in Pieces, which is available now. After dawn, we have Joe Wicks, who radiates positivity. This was recorded before his incredible Children in Need achievement, so massive congratulations for that as well. What an incredible amount. We speak to him about how he celebrated getting his MBE, how fitness changed his life, especially through his challenging childhood. He congratulates fellow MBE Marcus Rashford and tells us of his plan to get fitness into all schools. Okay, what was Joe talking about when he said this? It's right under there, yeah, right in between the you-know-what. It's very sore. It hardens up a little bit, if you like. (laughs) Stay tuned to find out what Joe was talking about. But first up, gorgeous Dawn O'Porter. are a phenomenon you're a life changer you're a world changer and I absolutely mean that and I know that I'm lucky enough to have interviewed you and met you uh, a number of times but you really are and when I was doing all my research and thinking about all the things I wanted to talk to you about I realized I want to start with choose love I really think we have to your charity I mean 30 million pounds you've raised I know it's really it really blows my mind and you know, we started it to go back to the beginning. Um, my friends Josie and Leanna, and oddly Caroline was there as well, but we were just out for lunch one Sunday and I think it was Leanna who said, God, this, you know, the situation in Calais is so awful. And she was, she'd read up quite a lot, but she knew a lot about it. And um, she really kind of went into the details of what was happening. And Josie and I were just so upset by it all. And um, why isn't this just, not only headline news, but why why isn't there like a global appeal for help? Like this just feels so inhumane. And so we decided over that lunch to, um, there may have been wine involved, which is when you come up with the best <laughs> ideas, um, to try and get a truck full of supplies and send it to Calais to help the people in the camp. And um, 
So that felt like a really good idea. And I was just like, right, we'll do it all through our Twitter feeds. And within 48 hours, we had 7,000 packages delivered where we had nowhere to store them, nowhere to store them. We were, we never, ever in a million years thought that would happen. We thought friends would drop off bags of clothes or stuff like that. Um, we set up a wish list on Amazon so people could literally click on tent, buy it, send it straight to us in our, you know, in our storage unit. So we got um, Big Yellow Storage gave us a room that we thought was going to be enough. And soon, by the end of the week, we'd taken over a whole floor. <laughs> and volunteers from Twitter, like hundreds of them, were coming to help us organise. Like, that room is for food, that room is for camping supplies, that room is for clothes. And then we had the challenge of, we didn't have a truck. I was like, what truck? Like, how are we going to get this all there? And so anyway, then a huge... Um, company that does never wants to be named basically lent us a fleet of lorries to distribute everything and we just pulled all resources and we shamelessly begged people to help us and people came good it was absolutely amazing we managed to get that um that truckload of supplies as promised to Cal- to Calais and as soon as you do something like that you realize you can't just go there you go and walk away you're just in it um that was like the most help they were getting and what was also happening was lots of people were donating things but people were just taking it to the camp and dumping it in the middle of the camp and it was just littering it and actually not useful so what we did is we took over a warehouse about 10 minutes away from the camp and actually started organizing all the supplies and taking it into the camp where it was needed the most and delivered to people so this whole organization just started and um it's my friend Josie who pretty much runs it now with her unbelievable team. Um, I had a baby at the time and was also moving back to LA. So I kind of had to stay, step back for a while from the actual, you know, day-to-day grind of it. But they carried it on, Gabby. They didn't let it go. And now Choose Love is still the biggest source of aid to the refugee crisis across Europe. It's wow, unbelievable. Dawn, that's such an amazing achievement. You should be so proud. Oh, thank you. Can we now please talk about your book, Life in Pieces? It's a remarkable book. It's, it's very funny and it's made, you made me cry, properly made me cry because it's you. I mean, you do, I, I think I've said to you before, what's so amazing about your writing is I can hear your voice. Whenever you write, um, you, it's definitely your voice. But there are some things, and I've never done this before, but I've just, can I just read some of your bits of your book? Yes, yeah, sure. I do think we are all being taught a bigger lesson than we realise from all of this. I am loving harder than I've ever loved in my life. I was alone with my grief, but now the whole world is grieving too. It's odd for me to feel that anything is nice because what happened to Caroline was the worst thing that's ever happened to me. Not just me, of course. So many people are hurting. Caroline has so many good friends. But somehow, with all that's going on, I'm being forced to find the positives and I think I'm getting a grip on what they might be. What are they? What are the positives? Are my kids. <laughs> um, and my marriage and my work. And I, you know, I've got to a point in my life where when something catastrophic happened to me, luckily everything else was in a good place. But I think I'm always the kind of person that will be striving for more, never quite satisfied, um, worried that everything's going to fall apart. Uh, you know, there's just some, there's the, the, I wouldn't even call it anxiety. There's just an energy behind me, which is in a, got a kind of what next? Is everything okay? Who cares? Just keep like, striving, striving, striving. And I think what this year made me do is it just made me 
just really sit with my situation and look at it and appreciate it. And I think in terms of, I mean, when Caroline died, it was, I mean, it was, I still, I mean, I'm still so in it. I'm still so, so devastated. Um, It was honestly like someone had kicked me in my head. It's the only way I can describe it. I was, someone had kicked me in my head and I couldn't get up. And I had to get up because I've got two small children. And I never told them that, you know, they're five and they're five and three, five and two and a half at the time. And I ne- they never knew I was sad. And some people might think I should have told them mummy's sad, but I just protecting their innocence yeah, as much as possible. Also, um, you know, and I just, I thought, no, I'm going to do it. I had Chris right there with me and, um, and he was so sad too. And we kind of just did it. And back then when it happened, so it was the 15th of February, we had a month of the world being normal. So, you know, we were kind of uh, able to leave the house and process in a way. And it was just, it was, I flew back to England for her funeral and it was on the way back that the borders were closing. I was on one of the last flights. And so it was almost like, and I know I say this in the book, but that week that I was in London without Chris and without the kids, because the week that I was going over to the funeral, people were saying, you know, starting to kind of float this word called lockdown and borders closing and we didn't have a nanny so we were going to be leaving the kids with the our dog walker who also babysits for four days when we both came back to Caroline's funeral and just before we left Chris and I were like this isn't that's not we can't do that if people are talking about the borders closing because can you imagine if we couldn't get back to the kids um so Chris decided to stay so I went back on my own and um which I'm actually quite grateful for now because I got to be with my friend Josie and, you know, my, my kind of girl gang. We we could just be together the whole time, which was actually quite useful. But um, I remember that week knowing that if the world even tried to be normal, I couldn't be a part of the same world that I'd lived in before without Caroline and after what happened. I was just too broken. And so I was sitting on the plane and I was just thinking, this is this is seismic I feel everyone's in masks everyone's anti-backing their chairs it's all really weird and I felt so kind of connected to the idea that this was all happening because my world could never be the same again I was very kind of internal about it all and then we got back and I got back on the Thursday and you know the school shut on the Monday and that was it we were in this weird year and I've just spent the whole time thinking is this good for grief or is this awful for grief because I got to fully deal with my feelings as in I got you know I got to kind of just think of her and live a very small life but then as soon as things opened up a bit and I'd see friends I was like oh I can't be in the in the world I've got no idea how to have a conversation with a person face to face about Caroline that isn't Chris I'm like every time you see someone new you realize oh god she's not out here that's how it feels like the idea of coming back to London is just terrifying to me the idea that she won't be there so there's this there's just going to be such a long process of this grief and I'm still like I said I just still don't know if lockdown was helpful or a hindrance in that process what it has done for me is it's made me love my little team so much I've always been very dedicated mom I'm a very dedicated wife I'm very you know domestic 
but I would always be, um, am I, how am I a mum? How, this is ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> how am I suddenly a mum of two kids? This is so weird. It's like I'm living somebody else's life. And now I just feel like, oh God, no, this is exactly who I am. I am a mum. I've just so bonded with that side of my life over the course of the year. Do you believe, I mean, I, I don't know how you feel about death. We, we both lost it. You were very young when you lost your mother. I lost my mum. She died many, many years ago. She was very young. Um, but do you believe that people are here for their allotted time and do what they're supposed to do? Because I think Caroline's legacy is quite extraordinary. Yeah, I do. I mean, you know, she was only 40 but one thing that Chris and I just kept saying to each other was no one could have sucked more life out of those 40 <laughs> years than Caroline like she she just ticked so many boxes of what people are supposed to achieve and she achieved them like uh, you know level 10 she she bought I mean honestly it's 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 a hard thing to say I just what more could you want you know for somebody is 40 my mum died when she was 36 and I don't know her. So I don't know if she felt fulfilled in the things that she'd achieved, but it, it definitely, you've got, I don't know. It's a really difficult question. I keep saying at the moment, this is really morbid. Sorry, but I'm, I've realized that I'm actually quite a morbid person. Um, if I was to die now, I, I would be sad for, be sad for my kids and be sad for Chris. But really there was, I'm, I'm at a point where everything from this point is a bonus. I've I feel like I've gone I've 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 lived my dreams I've found the love of my life I've got two gorgeous children I've all I ever wanted to do was have books published so it's done you know I've li- I've travelled I've done these things yeah but there's so much and, more um, for you to do because you 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 must not is. stop because you like I said you're a world changer you really are you're a people changer you're a lifesaver all of those things and but so you cannot stop but I see what you mean about that you've done what you wanted to do. But surely dreams, hopes and ambitions carry on, don't they? They do, they do, they do, they do, they do. But I just think in terms of the question of do you think that people are here for their allotted time, I, I, it's, a love, it's a lovely romantic idea and I'd love to believe it, but um, I don't know. I, I, just, I wish Caroline had just hung on to see that the world that was going to move on from what she thought everyone cared about, worry about themselves, you know? You had this extraordinary bond and friendship and that is the most... Isn't friendship the most wonderful thing? Friendship is the most wonderful thing and, you you know, you get different things from different people. Like, my friendship with Caroline was um, just very loving and just so funny. Honestly, when, when uh, for the week after she died, I kept saying to Chris, which is probably quite offensive who's going to make me laugh like that? Like that. Oh, that's great to say to Chris. Yeah, yeah I know. That's, that's lovely. He must have loved husband. that. <laughs> but I was like, but you know, that was the thing. I mean, I, that, that was things like she, I laughed till I wet my knickers when I talked to Caroline. Like that, that where's that going to go? Where's that going to go? But you know, female friendship to me, when you get good ones, just therapy every day. It yeah. is just the lack Best of judgment, thing. the offloading, the sharing, the, Everything from, you know, vagina woes to marriage woes to parenting woes to it all. It's all open doors. I love it. I love it. Couldn't live without my girls. I couldn't live without them. I, I feel the same. I think they're fantastic friends to me, a family. That's just the same thing. Um, can we just, you talking about your lovely husband, Chris. I, I just, what a joy of a man. 
but I love the story of that first night and the two of you and you da- he danced with you for an hour. Oh, I know. And you knew you were going to marry him. Well, I mean, that's so romantic. I know, it's weird. I'd been single for my entire 20s and had literally just said to myself, because I'd been out in LA for a year, I'm going to take a year off dating because the men out here is... Anyone who's anyone who you ever meet who's dating in LA will tell you the same thing. It's not a great town for dating. And I just, having thought what I thought I had quite good taste, kept just met like four back-to-back disasters. So I was despondent about men, to say the least, about to turn 30. And on my 30th birthday, um, Chris had started to chat me up a bit on Facebook. And I didn't know who he was. And so on my 30th birthday, he asked me to go bowling. And I said, no, but come um, to my party and bring all your friends. Because I didn't know many people and didn't think anyone would come. And at midnight, he walked in. And I was dancing with my dad, who was a big hairy Celt. And in walks this, this other big hairy <laughs> Celt. And I was like, step aside, pops. And Chris just put out his arms. And I just remember thinking, that wingspan is unbelievable because he's so huge and we just danced and then the next morning but he also danced with my friend Erica who had lent me her Pilates studio so LA for a um for my 30th birthday party so that's we were in her place and the next morning she texts me and she said um oh my god that guy last night was so hot and I actually replied he's mine (gasps) I'm I'm, I'm, I'm not even I'm not even going to get into a back and forth about this. It's not even best woman first. Back off. <laughs> it's mine. And I think she said something like, well, only because it's your birthday, I'm going to give this <laughs> one to you. <laughs> and, so, and so that was it. He moved in with me like, it's like three months later or something. It's my really girly apartment. He moved in with me. It's mad. But you two are a, a, a complete fit. We are. Yeah. I, you're a proper fit it's supposed to be well you know oh god you say this to someone anyone who's married and just done lockdown will be uh you know we have our moments but we definitely um I definitely can't imagine being with anyone else and I hope that he'd say the same thing we we we're we're very similar and also very different all at the same time and we have a really good time we have a really really good time um, but you've, you've got you're very you, you've got that wonderful naughty twinkle and he has as well <laughs> yeah and I can just imagine the two of you when you're really out to be naughty just there will be no stopping you no two. it's pretty fun it's definitely fun. we definitely sometimes will turn up to a party and I I, I mean this is gonna make me sound I remember turning up to a party that wasn't very fun and I just said god they're so lucky we just turned up and um and it ended up being a really fun party <laughs> We're, we're good. We're, would we're good guests. Party. Yeah, we're good guests. So, does he love uh, crisps as much as you do? Oh God, I love I love for all things potato, which is why our dog is called Potato. Is extreme. Um, yeah, we eat a lot. We both. I mean, thank God I did lockdown with someone who loves to be cooked for and will eat anything and is an indulgent man because. Like that five, first five months of it was so indulgent. I just cooked and cooked and cooked and we drank so many margaritas and we actually, you know, got through it by being <laughs> indulgent. I was like, if the rest of the world is taken away from us, we're going to live a delicious life. One of my favourite things that I that I read, and I remember saying to, this to you before as well, is the crisps in a sandwich. Just do it. Just do it. Oh my God. <laughs> just really soft bread, bread, butter and crisps in a sandwich. Salt and vinegar, crisps in a sandwich. Oh, <laughs> it's nothing better. Just brilliant. 
you know when you want when you trained as an actress oh god yeah how badly did you want to be an actress and then how badly did you not want to be an actress god that's a really nice question but the um when i was growing up on guernsey i knew i wanted to be i knew i wanted to you know jazz hands be out there center stage so it was always acting was the obvious thing I and mean, when i went to drama school in liverpool i just didn't enjoy it i i thought i was going to love it I didn't really, I have confidence. I'm such a confident person, but it was in a different kind of way. I'm really confident when I'm being myself. I'm not very confident when I've got to like act and be something else. I just didn't, that connection just wasn't happening. I just didn't enjoy it at all. And so by the third year, um, I'd kind of stopped acting. My The teachers loved me for it. Um, and I was doing things like <laughs> instead of doing plays, I would ask if I could do a radio project or if I could do, you know, try and make a TV show or something like that. And um, it just it just fizzled out. So by the time I'd left drama school, I didn't want to be an actress anymore. And when I got down to London, I started working as a runner in TV and I worked in TV production for years and then kind of ended up on screen and then what was weird is I ended up doing documentaries and I thought I always wanted to be a TV presenter. And so I, I did a lot of docs and I did enjoy it. Brilliant docs. Thanks. Brilliant Yeah, ones. no, it was great. And amazing life experiences. Like I lived with Mormons and I lived as a geisha and I lived, went to Russia and interviewed, you know, male order brides. And I did all these amazing things that for me now just... I so I can't believe some of the stories are coming out of my mouth when I tell people these things. But now I... I really just don't enjoy being on TV at all. Really? Yeah. I. I Why did that change well, then? I think what happened, I came out to LA 10 years ago to make a series called Extreme Wife. That was the Mormons and the Geisha and all those. Yeah, and, it's amazing. Yeah, it was brilliant. And, and then Channel 4 had said, are we going to give you a second series? So I stayed in LA and I got an apartment and I decorated it all in 1950s furniture. And then I waited and I waited and I waited and 10 months of me, because I couldn't work for anyone because of visa issues, and I 10 months of me waiting, they called me and said, we're not going to give you a second series. And You're kidding me, it was as blunt as that. Oh yeah, and it was, well actually it was a lovely guy called Andy and he just said, are you sitting down? And I literally fell down and he said, we're not giving you a second series. I was living in another country, couldn't work for anyone else, kind of, I had a lot of momentum for my career in the UK, but that had all gone because things move on very quickly. And... But I, they literally just pulled pulled the rug out from under me. So I kind of stayed in LA for a bit and just couldn't get anything off the ground again with Channel 4. I don't know what happened. They just totally changed their mind on me doing stuff for them. And then I had about four years of just not being able to pull it back at all. So a year later, I was going to go back to England and that was just when I met Chris. And so I ended up staying. And it was the weirdest year because... I wasn't in a brilliant place. I was actually, I mean, I've never really uh, suffered from depression, but I was just, I was really sad and, you know, really unconfident. And Chris had done Bridesmaids that year. So I was literally going through this career crisis next to someone who was breaking Hollywood. It was, and I just was, it's not that it was a competitive feeling because luckily I have no interest in act, acting. It was just like this daily reminder that I was just failing really badly. You weren't failing. Can let me just interrupt you because you weren't actually failing because you weren't, there was no failing. You hadn't done something that was bad. They just hadn't said you're going again. So yeah. in your eyes, you were failing, but there wasn't anything you were actually failing at. No, I mean, but yeah, that's right. But in my eyes, I really was failing. I'd had I'd had great success in my 20s and then it all just, I turned 30 and it disappeared, Gabby. Like literally no work. 
So then I got um, an, a weekly column with Stylist Magazine. I thought, oh my God, this is great. It was good income. It's a weekly column. I reminded me how much I love writing because I'd always written. And then they sacked me. Oh my God. <laughs> well, they just said one day that we they just, you're sorry, it's not right for the magazine. We don't want you to do it anymore. And what was even more hurtful is they didn't even replace me because they didn't really want anyone else. They just gave random people every week somebody else. I was like, it was so embarrassing. Anyway, so that happened. I had a full nervous breakdown, like full, total cash of confidence, crash of confidence on all levels. Didn't know what my name was, didn't know what was doing. Um, and I said to Chris, I need to go back to London for a bit because I, I can't do anything here in LA. Let's just, I can't do anything. So we went back to London for a while, for a couple of years. And um, that was when I just got this random call from this uh, book publisher called Emily, Emily Thomas, who I owe an awful lot to. And she just called me and said, I've been, I was reading your column in Stylist Magazine and I think you'd write really well for teenagers. Have you ever considered said writing fiction and I've always wanted to write fiction but I thought it would be when I'm 60 in the garden shed and just try and write a novel and maybe if I'm lucky I'll sell it um so it was a terrifying proposition but I said yeah actually I I would and she gave me a two book deal my first fiction books for um paper airplanes and goose and I wrote the books and as soon as I started writing fiction I was like I'm out of tv anyway I don't I don't really care what jobs come up I this is what this is what makes me happy I'm totally in control if I keep writing I will always work I don't feel like my work goes off to a bunch of people who then tear it apart and re-edit it and make me say a voiceover that I don't really believe or I don't really want my face or I go, I go on tv and I think I've done a good job and just everyone says that I look I've got a stupid fringe and blah 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 is my hair I'm like why am I in that world so it was it was it was that when I when I really started writing properly that's when I realized I really don't want to be on TV anyway and so then that was that was kind of that decision made and now um my poor TV agent has had to come to terms with that over the years every now and then something comes in that I think I could think about that I could think about that I'll think about that one and then it's generally not what I want to do I think that's a shame. As far as a viewer goes, I think you are brilliant on television. And oh, I you. know you don't like, you're not very good at taking compliments. Uh, but um, I remember saying that to your face. We were at the Albert Hall about to do something for comic relief. And I told you you were a brilliant presenter and you were all embarrassed. And then you hit me. But it was fine. It was a very friendly hit. It was fine. Um, you went, no, stop. You're not allowed to say it. Hang on a minute. Uh, were we just my... about to go on stage and play in the biggest kazoo? Yes, <laughs> kazoos. We all had kazoos in our hand. And Chris was teasing so me about wearing red jeans. I've never had red jeans before or since. And I had some red jeans on because it was for comic relief. Strange things that you remember in your life. But that the woman that said to you about the two book deal, she's she's pivotal in your life isn't she what a, she changed your life she did it's amazing how when you look back on people that just come in at the right time I mean if she'd have come to me a year earlier I wouldn't I wouldn't have done it you know I was I was I was gone back to London to try and work this out I was just really receptive to new stuff and it was yeah it was really amazing and I think also with um with like being on tv it's I, I, you know, I also would never say never. And there's there's certain things that would be really fun to do. But the hours are really, really hard when you've got a young family. And 
Yeah. I I used to, the great thing about my documentaries was I was all in, Gabby. I was like, pick me up at five in the morning, drop me off at midnight. I will work 18 hour days eating only from, you know, uh, petrol stations. And I am willing to do anything, but I couldn't do that anymore. So then I'd be doing it half-heartedly. So there's not much point in that. It's just interesting. Well, I've written down a word. I've got scribbles all over a piece of paper and I've got the word fate. Do you believe in fate then? Yeah, I think I do believe in fate. I feel like it would have been really unfair for me to not end up with a a job that I was willing to work really hard at it. So in terms of that whole story I just told you, I feel like fate was always going to be on my side in terms of um, being okay work-wise. Fate in terms of, you know, I met the way that I met Chris, I was actually seeing somebody else that night. Uh, I was going, I was had another boyfriend <laughs> and... Um, who weirdly, his dad's birthday was on the 23rd of January, same as mine. So for some weird reason, this guy that I was seeing was out the country with his dad the night I met Chris. There's things like that where you just think, what are the chances of that? Otherwise he would have been there at the party and that would have just been that. So also... Sliding door moments, you know, those extraordinary things that happen. And so I do, I do, I do believe in fate. And I do believe that all, you know, awful things happen that teach you wider lessons, like we'll all realise with lockdown and, you know, not that there's anything positive to get out of what happened to Caroline, but it's definitely gonna, it's smashed my head open in a way that life could never have done otherwise with, you know, the way that I feel and sympathy for people and, you know, the way that I love and the way that I appreciate. Um, so in some kind of weird way, even the worst things that happen to you are all, they all, yeah, so cheesy, but they all make you who you are, don't no, they? it's not. I, but also I read about you that you don't like the word lucky. I, I slightly resent it. When people say to me, I say, you know, for example, I've, um, I've got a book coming out and they say, oh, you're so lucky. I'm like, oh, I, I mean... I just don't, I work constantly. I, I don't feel lucky. I feel like if I didn't do what I do, I wouldn't have achieved these things. So I, I feel like in some terms, I'm lucky to be healthy. I'm lucky to have healthy children. I'm lucky there are certain things, but I think there's, for some areas of my life, even my marriage, am I lucky? No, I work hard at my marriage. You know, I, I had to dump a boyfriend to be in this marriage. That's not luck. That's <laughs> Whose making... father had the same birthday. I, I mean, please. Well, you know, it can never... I'm obsessed with my birthday. So the idea that his attention would be taken away from me on my birthday was never going to work. But um, <laughs> so there's some things that it's not luck. It's just making good decisions. And I think it's important to like commend people for making good decisions. There's also a, a lovely story that I know you shared um, before, but... There is, I'm obsessed, it's just, I'm obsessed with reading benches. And um, I've always, and I've wanted to do, uh, I wanted to do a story about it uh, for a, a TV show. And everyone said, no, people just sit on a bench, they don't read them. I said, no, everybody does. And then you had that story of, of the, exactly the, that thing, watching a man and a bench. Will you share that story again? It was so moving. So my last book, um, my last book, So Lucky, was inspired by that moment. I was sitting on a, a park bench in London two summers ago and this man just ran up to me, very handsome man, probably in his 50s, shirt off, like running, but he had so much anger in him. But he, probably a decent person, he just felt like a man probably with a stressful job who was out trying to get the stress out of him. That's the kind of vibe I would get. And he ran up to me and said, please move off the bench. 
and my immediate reaction was fuck you <laughs> I'm not moving that's so rude <laughs> and then um and then I just looked at him and I was like okay because I just saw something in his eyes he said sorry please um would you mind sitting on that bench over there and then I watched him and he cleaned bird poo off the whole bench with a packet of wet wipes that he was carrying in his hand and then he sat on the bench and he kind of put his head in his hands and looked out at the park and then he just got up and ran off but calmer and so I went over and I saw a plaque on the bench that was for a young girl and it was clearly his daughter there was no you know it was just what I witnessed there was no way that that wasn't his bench and um I was so struck by it because it was one of those classic moments of everyone is fighting a battle you know nothing about and when someone is rude or someone is abrupt you presume they're just rude and abrupt and they've ruined your day and if you just step back for a second and think hang on a minute what's going on with this person and just you know observe and I did and it was I mean I sat on the bench and just I was watching actually watching my kid playing in the park I just think god that poor man um and so that 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 little scene inspired a whole book of just that you don't know what's going on for somebody you really don't we are very unaware of of the mental anxiety that people are going to going through obviously we see somebody with crutches because they've broken their leg but you can't see what's going on inside 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 their mind inside their heart I know, I know. And, you know, I think it's like like you said, I mean, I, I had an experience in the park a couple of weeks ago with this guy just, he was playing tennis and he just started yelling at me and the kids for being noisy in a park. And I, I it was, he was so aggressive towards me. And then he smashed a, hit a tennis ball at the fence. Like, at no. Me. And I was just, I would, yeah. And I was just there with my kids, just a normal guy, young, playing tennis. And it twixt something in me where I was going to walk away and then I just turned around and I turned in to a monster. I turned in <laughs> to a legitimate, a legitimate monster. A legitimate lo- monster. I love that. Okay, legitimate yeah. monster. And so as as he, st- as he started, like, got really sweary at me and really aggressive, but then, t- like, tried to ignore me playing tennis, I just stood on the side where- lines and I said this, oh, dear, your form's terrible. You need to get some lessons. Oh, you missed it again. And I just taunted him. And my and I just went on and on and on. I couldn't stop. And I was like, no, this isn't, this isn't the right way to react. But I also... I'm a mother of two boys. I don't want them to ever think that women just walk away from confrontation. I want them to understand that, you know, a woman has to stick up for herself. But my kid was like, okay, mommy, I think you're done. I love that. I, like, I know, but I was just like, oh, 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 are your shoes too small? Your shoes are too small. And also, and I was like, that, and also that colour t-shirt really doesn't work for you. You should be wearing white. Um, and then he, and he got more aggressive than me. I was like, dude, like this isn't, it's not Wimbledon, mate. It's a park. And he just, and then I just kind of walked away. And as I walked away, like my heart is thumping. I'm, I'm going, I'm thinking, oh my God, I'm going to be sick, but just walk away, walk away thinking, oh my God, is he going to follow me and like smack me over the head with his tennis racket? But I was like, I just had to react. And then other times you see people's aggression and you're just like, oh, you know, just like, don't worry about it. And other times it really does something to you and it's kind of unstoppable. Yeah, but you didn't just shout and swear at him. You actually, you you created one of the best sketches for for a a comedy moment. (laughs) Maybe that's your next book. Um, uh, Can we talk music? Because obviously you you wrote uh, especially for you, the musical. But but what's music to you? What do you and Chris dance to? Because you said that he danced. 
he came up and you danced together. What do you two dance to? What were you dancing to in lockdown? Oh, gosh. I mean, we did do some quite a bit of karaoke because Chris um, set me up with a karaoke machine. In the Love it. Room. Love karaoke. Yes. Oh. I know, me too. And then... Um, Favourite song, go on. My absolute classic is Dolly Parton, 9 to 5. But then I will oh, do... Gosh. I also love doing... Um, but a carpenter's, I love, I mean, my repertoire is huge, actually, Gabby. It's just an impossible question to answer. Which um, carpenter's song, though? Is it, is it, oh, God, no. birds suddenly? Yes, I do that. Also, that. Chris yeah. and I love yeah. doing Cindy Lauper together. We do a lot of Cindy Lauper <laughs> together. Um, and I'm also, my favourite song to do on karaoke at the moment is um, Just Like Jesse James by Cher. It's a lesser known Cher song that she doesn't particularly like, but it's just so good. Um, Chris and I listen to a lot of Solomon Burke and Sam Cooke is on all the time. Oh, I went through a big stage in isolation of just listening to loads of Nora Jones. Oh, I which, love Nora Jones. I mean, it's such good. It's so good. Like, we put the kids to bed, put on some Nora Jones, pour some wine and cook Chris and I something delicious. I was like, this is what she was is all about it's dinner time isn't it and she just like to relax you at the end of the day and uh, it was just I got yeah I really really enjoyed it so yeah but Chris and I would dance a lot to those kind of old 60s 70s type music I think Do you, and and the, the your boys as well I get the feeling that, that reading all the bits and pieces that you've said about Chris that he's an incredible father he really is I mean I you know just good Irish stock very family orientated. It's never been an issue for us to share the childcare. He would always get up in the night with the baby if they didn't need feeding. He'd get up if they didn't need feeding. If they if they didn't need my boobs. Oh, I so see. So he right. would get up and sit with them for hours. Yeah, <laughs> that was the one thing he couldn't do is um is breastfeed. But you know, if it, if they was uh, yeah, Art was always the most amazing sleeper. Valentine was a total disaster. So he'd I'd give him a boob and then Chris would take over quite happily and sit up with him for hours in the middle of the night he's that kind of guy and um yeah very 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 loving dad and so playful I mean this is you know you read the book you see that I think that I I feel like I'm very functional and lockdown has taught me how to play with my kids and be with them a lot more yes. because I always used to watch the way that Chris would just play with them for hours and hours and not get bored. I'd go, I'd be right, right, okay, I'm going to do, I'm going to do Lego. Let's get down on the floor and do Lego. And then they'd yell at me because I did all of the yellow Lego wrong. <laughs> and then suddenly we're having a fight about Lego and I'm like, do you know what? I'm just going to make lunch. <laughs> and that would be the extent of my playing before lockdown. And so, but Chris would just play with them for hours, like come up with games and like, chase them at the park I mean I, I I'm in awe of that to be honest do you know what also is so lovely that when you talk about him I can hear your eyes twinkling I'm going back to your twinkly eyes again you two with your twinkly eyes <laughs> we're quite twinkly eyes so uh, can we just talk about fashion because um I am sitting here because I, I and even though you can't see me I'm wearing the shirt I bought the front it's one of your shirts and Aww. it's with the uh, dinosaurs and toys on it and Aww, the boys toys. are you going to go back and do um fashion again would you do anything to do with fashion because you just what you it, it's this shirt everybody goes mad about it when i wear it i don't know why i put it on because i knew i was speaking to you and it <laughs> seems ridiculous and now i've said it oh my god what was i th it's just a bit crazy but i am sitting here doing it but but will you go back to that side because that's you Fashion was such a big part of your life. And I still love it. The thing is, is it's so, I'm not a businesswoman. And honestly, I'm the world's worst businesswoman. I, 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 I couldn't do that side of the business. And 
I was a really good designer and I knew exactly what I wanted everything to look like, but, and I'm a good marketer and I'm good at like, you know, promoting and all of the, all of the visual and fun stuff. But I just, I'm just a terrible, terrible business person. I don't want anything to do with it ever, ever again. Manufacturing clothes is hands down the hardest thing I've ever done. I'm still in a lot of debt from it that I'm going to be paying off for years because I put all my own money into it. And um, and in some ways I really succeeded and in other ways I just didn't. And I started the business when I was seven months pregnant with Art, my first kid, on the same day that I signed my first two book, like grown up book deal. And that I just think of when I had Art sitting on my bed with my computer next to me on the phone begging investors to give me money with a baby on my boob. That was like the first three months of parenting for me. And then when I was and it just got more and more stressful. And then when I was seven months pregnant with Valentine, I just walked into the living room one day and I said to Chris, I'm going to close the business tomorrow. I'm done. I can either... Wow. I, I just got some I just got some investment and I could either devote my life to it fully, which would be running a business because there's actually very little creative to do when you run it, when you're actually running a business. And... um or I didn't, and I just walked away, which is why I'm going to be in debt for a long time. But it was the best decision I ever made. Honestly, I think I felt like I was floundering. And meanwhile, my writing career was going very well, and it was ruining it because I never could be unstressed enough to write anything. So um, I would never go back to having a business and doing that again. I really miss sourcing and selling vintage clothing. But if I ever did that again, it couldn't be, um, it would have to be more of a hobby. You know, it's not um the amount of time it takes and with my writing it would be one day maybe I'll have a little if we move to a little seaside town I'd probably get a little shop and just buy and sell vintage clothing clothing but only open on Tuesdays or something <laughs> right I'm, I'm gonna put it Tuesdays in my diary for when you do that because I love your clothes um are you so you're in uh, the uh, in a cupboard are you in the cupboard that you wrote the book in and that gave you the inspiration because on the back of your book it says uh, Dawna Porter has been thinking about life in lockdown, mostly from a cupboard. The highs, the lows, finding comfort in the chaos and the new normal that is anything but. Is that, are you in the same cupboard? No, I cried in cupboards. I used to go in cupboards to be emotional. We moved house. So now my office is the spare room used to have a wardrobe in it that we took the wardrobe out and it's kind of tucked away around a little corner, like a tiny little cubby, a bit like a really small podcast studio. And we took the wardrobe out and put a desk in it. So I have this little kind of writing nook, which used to be a wardrobe, which I'm sitting in now. And I love it. Love cupboards. You've got to do a book about cupboards next. Because I, I, I really, I, I mean, I think magic is, is a word for you because I, like I said, and I will say it, every, I will say it to anybody that will listen to me that I think you're a, a, a life changer and a world changer. And it's an Thank absolute you. joy to speak to you. I am... I'm very much in awe of you for all the right reasons. Uh, please give Chris my love and kiss those boys. Oh, and I will. If anything that has come out of this year is this lovely book, and it's a, it's just wonderful. Uh, Dawn, thank you. You're a joy. Thank you, Gabby. Thank you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 
Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. And now, as promised, Joe Wicks, MBE. I've got to just tell you, <laughs> and you know this for a fact, I have, because I, I do it every day, I do your workouts and I do, I've just done, because I knew I was speaking to you, I've just done your 10 minute abs, but I do the one that you did in the hotel where you go to 14 minutes. So I've done 14 minute abs. Oh yeah. You love that. You might sound like, you might hear that I'm out of breath. I've literally just jumped off my Peloton. So I did a 30 minute Peloton ride and it was a Hamilton special. So I, I love the music of Hamilton. So I was like so excited to do it. But yeah, that's why I'm a little bit out of breath. I've just jumped off the bike. I have a thing about bicycles. And I, I, I mean, I can get personal, but I don't want to. It's a sort of female thing. I'm not great with a saddle. Yeah, I mean, I, I get the same. Like, it's quite hard <laughs> to get used to. But, you know, I've got a road bike. It's called, um, what do you call it? Like saddle sores and stuff, isn't it? Where you just, yes. yeah, like bruised. It's right under there. Yeah, right in between the you-know-what. It's very sore. But it's you can kind of, as you do it more, you get more conditioned to it. And you sort of, it hardens up a little bit, if you like. <laughs> And you can do longer miles. Oh, you're such a joy. Um, uh, but your your actual workouts online, you're just so accessible to everybody. Well, thank you for doing my workouts. But one thing I want to ask you, though, is because I know you do the abs ones, but do you actually do the proper, like, 25-minute hit, the high-intensity ones as well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do the hit, and then I go and do the abs as well. And if I don't do you and I'm out and about, or if I go for a, a big, long walk, I then do the abs afterwards. So I do the abs five times a week. Blimey, that's amazing. Did you do my peer with Joe... Uh, workouts during lockdown yes yeah that I did yours and I did another one so we did because the family did it I think I messaged you that what was so lovely was that my youngest daughter my oldest daughter who were 13 and 19 and my husband and I were all doing it together and my they loved the fact that their cousins were doing it uh, around the world at the same time and that sort of brought the world together that sounds very heavy but it did it brought made the world smaller oh, i love that that's wonderful i'm glad they all took part and enjoyed it. i miss doing it now you know before we go any further oh my word when i saw it pop up on my news i i whatsapped you instantly congratulations on the mbe oh thank you so much i couldn't believe it i was like i saw the article someone tweeted me it and it was quite late what well, i think it's saturday morning actually and i was just like wow like i couldn't believe that you know because i'm such an like i'm a normal guy i'm not like super talented i'm like an artist or a musician or you know an amazing actor that's been in the industry for like 50 years I've just really just shared my passion and I've been there for people through fitness and and I just I'm really proud of it and I went out with my mum and celebrated and had a little dinner with my mum on the weekend oh 
What did she say? She's so proud because when I was little, like her, her friends always, used to, you know, she had me really young. She was only 19 when she had me and all her friends used to say we were going to be, you know, wrong and we were going to end up in prison on drugs and stuff. And so she's just so proud that like we ended up, you know, me and my brothers, you know, we ended up making the right decisions and going on to do good things. So she's super proud of me. Oh, it's so lovely. So you get, but you get a letter first, don't you? Asking you if you're going to accept it. So when you got that letter, did that just blow your mind? Yeah, I didn't believe it at first and I didn't tell anyone. Well, I told Rosie, um, my wife, but I didn't want to tell my mum and dad. I thought it'd be fun for them to find out, you know, near the time like when the actual list was announced. So I kept it to myself. And um, yeah, I obviously said, yeah, I'd love it. I'd love to have the MBA. It wasn't something I planned on. But it's a nice, it's icing on the cake. For me, the the success of P with Joe and the impact it had was really my proudest achievement. That's what I'll remember. Like the MBE is just a nice little thing to recognise it and remind me. But it really was such an amazing time for me to to be locked in my house, helping so many people through that time and get them moving and feeling positive and happy. And yeah, I, I think it's just like the highlight of my career. I'm so proud of it. Oh, it's so wonderful. And I remember speaking to you, was it the week before, two weeks before, and you were going to do one live one. And uh, you were talking about, I think it was a Sunday evening live. So you came on my radio show and, and you said, oh, I just, I'm thinking I might do this every day. So at that stage, and I know I've spoken to you throughout, but at that stage, you had no idea that hundreds and hundreds of millions of people were going to be viewing these and people you you break you know the Guinness world record of the most watched live thing on YouTube you had no concept of that when you launched in to do that first live on the Sunday night did you no I had no idea it was going to be so well received and, and spread and shared across all media I had so many interviews like around the world and I think it was just a people were like needing something they felt like they you know they were emotional they were anxious they were a little bit you know they were fearful about what was going on and I thought if I can deliver a session for 30 minutes and not mention COVID not mention the lockdown and just have fun and all let loose for 30 minutes you know with this like the dancing and the silly billy and I was doing um you know fancy dress Fridays I, oh, I made brilliant. it fun and interactive with the quizzes and the spot the difference and I, I didn't know that so many people were going to do it and also for so long right I did it for 18 weeks so and remember I also broke my hand so I had a cast on my hand the whole time um and I just I was so committed I just thought I'm never I'm not going to miss this I need to be there I had this responsibility and this kind of desire to want to be there for people every single day and it got me it helped me get through lockdown you know emotionally because exercise also helps me and my mental health and it helped millions of families 80 million families took part over the 18 weeks 80 million yeah 80 million that's mad. that's just that is because you can't you can't visualize that you know people say oh well there's a, a football stadium watching or you can't visualize 80 million people yeah I was well the first workout we had oh, just over 800,000 and I thought it's not going to go more than that and then the second day we had 954,000 live streams but you have to imagine like some of those were schools and some of them were families of four or five people in the house so it was it was more like tens of millions of people a day were actually doing it not just the live streams <laughs> oh my word how does Rosie take all this? Well, she was with me through the whole thing. And I say to her, like, you know, the MBE really is between me, Nikki and Rosie because she was there every day, you know, watching the kids, keeping them quiet. Or sometimes they run in and broke free and they were in the workouts with me. And 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 she also stepped in, you know, when I broke my hand, I had to go back to the hospital because I had an infection and I spent two, week, two nights in the hospital. 
And on the Monday morning, she said, look, I'd love to help you and be there for you. So she dressed up in her sports kit. And that's really out of her comfort zone for her to come and do that on a live stream. And I, I was there, my shirt and tie on my little clipboard. So I was like the teacher and Rosie was the teaching assistant. And, and you know, it was so wonderful for her to do that. And every single day, Nikki, my brother, was on the was in my, you know, my AirPods reading out all the comments and the shout outs. So he was there every single morning as well. And that's why it's really a shared MB because we couldn't have, I couldn't have delivered that session the way I did without them too. You're an incredibly generous person, aren't you? You're always about giving. I just feel like it's when you help your mum or your sister or you help your neighbour, you do something kind for someone. The feeling you get when you do that, it feels wonderful, doesn't it? So you have to imagine, for me, for 80 million families and kids and, you know, sending letters and cards and, and DMs and tweets all day saying, I love the workout, thank you, like that... That's an amazing energy source for me that really does keep me going. On those days where I didn't fancy it and I was about to jump in front of the camera, I just reminded myself of like how important this was for people. And I put on my brave face, I, I had a laugh, and as I got into it, you know, I really enjoyed it as well. But that, for me, from the very first day I started out as a personal trainer, my goal was to help people, you know, whether it's one-to-one or with my boot camps, help them to feel confident and happy and you know, improve their mental health. And it's the same today. Like when I post a story on Instagram or I post a workout on YouTube, it's the same aim. It's just obviously on a bigger a bigger scale with a much larger audience. I mean, so when you started out, you were a teaching assistant. But so to me, that's still the same thing. You're giving. It's always about, it's about giving. But you're a teaching assistant. But what was that moment that you just thought, no, I want to do personal training and then I'm going to do social media? I mean, how did that change? It's a massive life change. Well, my ambition really from a young age, I made this decision at about 14, was to, be go, was to go to university to become a PE teacher because I had such a great relationship with my PE teachers. I really respected them and I loved PE. And I, I really think back to like when I used to do that, I was always the one like running out onto the pitch and getting everyone rounded up to start because I just couldn't wait to do that lesson. Whereas every other lesson, I was very disruptive and just, you know, distracted and I was a bit of a clown. But with PE, so I almost was in a way a little mini body coach back then. And then I went to university, I'd done my degree in sports science and I thought I'll work as a teaching assistant for a year and I loved it but it was very challenging. I think teachers, it's such an under, I suppose it's like it's it's the most challenging thing and it's such a, it, it takes so much patience and time and consideration and energy and I thought I don't think I have that, I just didn't think I was ready for a career in that so so much respect for teachers and also teaching assistants. And then I made the decision, well, what do I love? I love exercise. I love fitness. Um, so I'm going to do my personal training qualification. And from that moment, I just fell in love. I just loved it. I went and set up a boot camp and I was doing one-to-one personal training. Yeah, but how did you do that? I mean, that's, but that, see, that's the thing. You go, Okay, you say, I'm going to go be a personal trainer. And we know that there are so many personal trainers, people wanting to do that and personal trainers out there. But then becoming this sensation that you did and setting up a boot camp, I mean, there's, not everybody thinks in that scale you know I know I know the scale we're talking about was pretty small then compared to where you are now but that was still a big step and then suddenly taking it online and doing socials with it I mean did was there anybody that said to you you know what do a boot camp you know what do social media was this all in your head I just had this desire to want to like be my own boss and be independent and work for myself. Like the options are, you know, you become a personal trainer, you can go and work in a gym and you can pay a rent or you get a salary from a gym and that's fine. But I felt like I wanted to do it on my own. I wanted to be my own boss. And so I just thought I'm going to set up a boot camp. And that was really hard at first. You know, I've always talked about this, like nobody came, nobody was there. But I have this voice, this positive cheerleader that just says, keep going back, you know, keep flyering. It will grow. And I applied that mentality to my YouTube, to my Instagram, to my Facebook, 
But I, you have to understand, my ambition was to become a school teacher. Then my ambition changed to become a, a boot. You know, I have a couple of boot camps. So I thought if I can have two or three locations, that'd be an amazing little business, and I'll be really happy. I didn't have these grand ideas of becoming an author and having books and DVDs. That was something that came out of the passion, like the passion and the, just the drive to always share content that led to all these amazing opportunities. Yeah. So for you, I mean, I think you were one of the front runners of the whole of, of using social media for the for the for the good for the good of mankind and that sounds very dramatic but it is for the good of mankind so i remember the very first time i interviewed you was a few years ago and people knew who you were and there was a sort of there was a thing about your you know but the, I can't do, I love the way you do your recipes online. And, and that's what you were sort of known for. Go on, give us a bit of that. Oh, it's chaos. So it's chaos. And I used to go in with a Lucy B, Monge too, sugar snaps, green beans, <laughs> rice in the mic, add your chicken, fry a bit of soy sauce in. And that right there is lean in 15. And that was it. That was how it started. See, I love it. When I look back now, when I look back at those videos, I go, oh, I cringe. Because I think, oh, I'm so loud and no. annoying. But something about that video just caught people's attention. And it like, it stood out. It made people laugh. You know, I'd hang out the window and I'd be silly. And <laughs> I think it just caught people's attention and, and made them think, actually, you know, he's, he's having fun. He's teaching himself to cook. He's, he's making healthy food. The big shift was when I got the cookbook deals, you know, yeah, because that really yeah. took it to a, the mainstream household I was doing this morning. And, you know, um, Good Morning Britain and Sunday brunch and all those little moments just like lifted my profile but it's weird because I I sort of started in fitness then it went all cooking and recipe books now it sort of shifted back to fitness if you like with the YouTube and the growth of that but how ironic that I actually ended up being a PE teacher I ended up being you know I had that dream at 14 all these years later I've essentially been a virtual PE teacher for like millions of people so it's it's just it was it was always in me. Even I'm not working in a school, I'm still visit as when I can. I'm going around to UK schools and Ireland, and I'm visiting as many schools as I can to because I get the energy when I see the crowd of young kids exercising, and I see myself and th- think about the lives they live and how difficult their home life might be, and you just see them having a really good time in that moment. I realise that that's me. That's who I was. I had a rough upbringing. I had a chaotic household, but when I was at school and exercising and doing PE or whatever it may have been, I felt really happy. And so that's my that's what makes me happy seeing kids do it as well. When you look back on on your childhood, if you'd had somebody like you, do you think it would have changed you? I mean, you I suppose you know that, don't you? It would have. Yeah, I think, you know, I, I didn't have any positive role models really other than my, like other than my school teachers, I, I suppose, because my dad was in and out of the house. He weren't there much. And I think having that relationship if I was a kid and I saw someone like P with Joe body coach doing that I would be so inspired because I'd know that he's having fun he's doing it at home and I, I can do that too and the greatest thing for me is when I hear stories of like um a parent will tweet me or DM me and say I heard this bang and I ran upstairs to my kids room and they were doing one of your workouts in their bedroom and that is like wonderful because it's off their own back they know that they're going to feel happier doing it and it's like them making a decision for themselves to go and exercise and let off some tension and release some stress and that for me is an an amazing thing and if we can do that as many times as possible then you're going to really change the culture of health and fitness within that family I think but also you talk about mental health and you're very very open about how you feel were you always like that I think, yeah, when I look at me and my brother, uh, my older brother, Nicky, like, he's quite introvert and he's quite, he holds his feelings quite, he bottles up things, I think. Whereas me, I remember being a kid, I would say exactly what I was thinking. I would always kind of communicate. Um, and I do think when I look back, I was definitely used exercise and fitness as a, probably as my therapy. I wasn't having counseling or anything as a kid, but I was quite angry at times, you know, about my situation with my dad, you know, with the drug addiction. But I think for me, like playing sport, 
doing hobbies like running to school exercise and being part of the team like that all gave me something positive to focus on um so yeah it definitely i think it changed my life i think health and fitness from a very young from a very young age really changed the direction of my life and i think it can for so many people you just mentioned your dad and your brother of course you put on on um socials about going biking with your dad and your brother and what an incredible trip i love that so i've got an older brother called nicky who he's like my He's like my best friend. We work together. He's like my right-hand man, if you like, behind the scenes of the body coach. He's the one that you said is in your ears for, for reading all the tweets. Yeah, he's yeah. given me all the shout-outs and things. So Nick is, like, really amazing. He works with me, and I love him to death. And I've got my little brother, George, who's 10 years younger than me. And so Nick is not into the motorbikes. I've tried to get him into it, but my dad passed his test. George passed his test. So I got us all a bike. We've got three motorbikes, which I keep um, at my house. And we meet up, you know, once, maybe once every couple of weeks. We do a little local, maybe we go around sort of Richmond and Windsor or we go to Brighton and things like that. But we did a really amazing trip. We went to the Scottish Highlands together on this big trip, like, you know, five days. And it was, it's so wonderful to have something in common where we can really kind of be out together and and do something that we we all love. And it's quite therapeutic riding a motorcycle because... You're not talking, you haven't got your phone on, you're not, you're not plugged into anything and it's quite a relaxing experience. So yeah, I love it. I really like that we've got some that we can all do. And also like till we're really old, you know, you can ride a motorbike well into your 60s or 70s or even older. So it's nice that we can do that in years to come. And you've got a good relationship now with your dad. Yeah, you know, my dad's clean today. The most important thing about, you know, about addiction is that it's always there. You know, he's, he's still in therapy, he still goes to NA meetings and it's a big part of his life, but he's clean today and that's the most important thing. And I'm, I'm one of these people that I don't look back with resentment or anger. I really am about today. Like I'm all about the relationship today. And, you know, the fact that I went through that as a kid and, and my dad did as a, as a teenager and as a young man, like he's an amazing, amazing person to be around now. And he's got so much advice and I've learned so much. And it's changed also my ability to be a parent. Like I'm, I've learned through those mistakes and now I can implement, you know, my own way of parenting and be, be present and be really there for, for my kids and Rosie as well. How are India Mali? They must find this all extraordinary. They must. It's normal for them, isn't it, for a camera to be on and Daddy to be talking to somebody else on the camera? Yeah, I'm torn between like wanting to, you know, share everything, and then I have days where I just don't want to share anything and I want to keep it really private. But you know, they're such a big part of my life. It's really difficult because I love them so much. They're with me all the time. I'm at home, so Indy knows that I'm going to go upstairs to film my workout. She she knows I'm going to exercise, um, but she comes up and she'll take part and she copies me and. I just I believe that I'm role modeling. I believe that every time I do a workout, she sees me sweating and she sees me laughing. She's that's a really important thing for her to see because if you're a young person, you don't see anyone around you exercising or getting any mental health benefits from movement, then it's hard for them to think, well, why should I do it? You know, so I think that the earlier we can demonstrate exercise and, and do it together as a family, the better, it's, you know, the greater chance you've got of those children becoming active teenagers and adults, I believe. These podcasts, we ask every single person and very often it's the craziest things but I always ask people what makes them laugh what makes you laugh it has to be now more than ever like my kids you know like seeing seeing Indy like she's really her vocabulary like baffles me how much she speaks she's only two but she she speaks so well so she'll say the funniest things and she pulls this really funny face she can just do it on demand <laughs> it cracks me up but you know it's just the thing that I look at them and I see like mini me's I see like Indy and Marley and me and the way they love their food and Indy's like her happiest when she's eating, so she's always asking for food. <laughs> and I just think that's hilarious because I think when I was a kid, I was the same. I'd get in from school, I'd eat everything I could, and, you know, Rosie loves her food. So when you realise how much your children are you, like that for me is the most wonderful and also funny experience to see. Now, you said when you were at uh, school that you 
with the clown and you like to make people laugh what what would you do I was just a bit of a plonker like you know I wasn't a I wasn't like an, I wasn't a mean kid or, or a nasty kid but I was just one of those kids that would always be trying to crack jokes always you know just disrupting and being being silly and annoying people and you know in a kind of just because I couldn't focus mate I probably had ADHD to some extent because I couldn't focus on anything like maths and English and science but when it was things like practical things like um you know, technology or textiles or cooking, you know, even things like cooking, we've done that. I loved it. I got my hands, you know, I got involved and PE was the same. But yeah, I was just very distract, distracted and couldn't seem to focus much on things. What do your friend? have you got any friends from those days that, you, that are still friends with you now, people that you were at school with? Yeah, I've still got a few friends, you know, like friends in different industries and we, we speak to them, we, we come across each other every now and again. And yeah, like especially with Facebook, obviously for birthdays and things. And yeah, like everyone thinks it's hilarious. They think, they think it's funny that I'm obviously like doing TV and then when you get an MBA it's like wow this is it's mad because I'm just a boy from Epsom you know I went grew up in a council estate and went to a pretty rough school but you know I've I've done well because I work, I've worked hard so I think everyone's quite supportive and positive when they when they see me but, but they, what do they say I mean that, are you just still Joe that they knew at school or do they you know how, how do they feel because it's such a such a different world now well I think people assume that you like from a distance you, you might be different or you might have changed or your ego may have changed because you've got a bigger house and whatnot but I know instinctively that I haven't changed I'm still the same person and my mum and dad always say that they're so proud that I haven't let the fame and success, you know, affect me, affect my personality or my ego. And that's just natural. That's not an, that's not effort for me. Like I'm just, I am who I am. So, you know, I'm very generous with my friends. Like I really enjoy when we can, you know, going for nice meals and on holiday together. Like I, I love sharing my success for me. Like I cannot be successful over here doing loads of cool stuff and not having my friends with me. Like that actually makes me unhappy. So the more I bring people together, so I'm always the one that, you know, will do the barbecues and I'll, I'll do Christmas, I'll do Christmas like, dinners or we'll get together for um you know like summer summertime things whatever it may be like picnics and stuff and because I, I love I love and I've always been that glue that pulled my friends back together like they know that's me and I used to get upset by the fact that I thought I, if we if I didn't arrange these dinners and arrange these things then we'd never get together but I've just become that person they know that every few weeks they're going to get a text and I'm going to say right boys we're going for dinner or let's have the kids round and have a little barbecue so that's just the role that I've that I am, you know, that, that, I, that I've always had, really. Sounds like you were born at, at, at an older age, and I mean that as a compliment, like a really sort of wise head on young shoulders. Well, you you think that now, but when I was when I was younger, I was you would just think you would have just thought he's going to end up in prison on drugs. He's too he's too crazy. He's not you really, know, he's, yeah, because all of you know, I was from that background where people were going to the park and were you know smoking weed and dabbling in certain things and getting getting arrested for like little petty crimes so like this is the area that I grew up in so the fact that I broke that I completely I was so I was so scared of drugs and and all that sort of stuff because I'd seen the destruction it had made on my family that me and my brother we just never went near it and I think my mum really taught us the value of respect and you know like we we had boundaries we had to be home at 10 o'clock on a Friday night we weren't allowed out till one o'clock two o'clock in the morning where some of my friends would be out their parents just let them do what they want and I think when you've got those boundaries in place it definitely keeps you you know keeps you on the straight and narrow I think for a lot of lot of times for me for sure I just why I'm so fascinated by you is your enthusiasm for life and you, you and I are both you know, people always accuse me of being too hyper and enjoying life too much. But you never apologise and I don't want to apologise. We should just, if we, you know, what you do is you spread the enjoyment of being alive, don't you? That's what you're about. If you've got a flame inside, if you've got this little spark of energy, like you should always share that. You should always be there to like use that because some people go through life not really naturally. It's not in their DNA to be like that. You know, some people are 
by default a little bit pessimistic, a little bit down, a little bit kind of, oh, I'm not bad, I'm all right, you know, whereas I'm like, I'm like Tigger, you know, there's Tigger yes. or Eeyore, isn't there? Yes. Like, I'm a Tigger because I want to be positive. I, w- I think it's nice to be optimistic and it does rub off on people for sure. Like if I was someone who was always moaning and complaining about things, you know, I don't think I'd have, you know, an audience like I do because people love, they're drawn to like inspiring, motivational, uplifting people. And that's what I try to do with my videos, with my recipes. And I'm always trying to, yeah, give people a little bit of... um happiness and for me the best way and the quickest way is through like healthy food and exercise it's it's so powerful when you when you take that life on and you adopt that lifestyle we can all live such a healthier life and a happier life oh more people should listen to you i think you're you're absolutely spot on so you were you know there you were as a young boy you knew what you you had an idea of what you wanted to do obviously it's gone far beyond that but where do you go now with 80 million people watching you 128 million views actually i think it's even more now um guinness world record mbe you know you'll be knighted you'll be sir joe at some stage where do you go now i feel just as ambitious as ever as ever and i I think i really want to keep this you know this mission around schools and young people i i feel like i've had amazing success with my cookbooks and you know my 90 day plan but for me when i started doing the kids stuff when i started visiting schools and really having that impact on young people i felt like that is this is what i need to be doing this is where i need to put my energy because children need love they need attention they need positive role models they need encouragement and they need confidence and that's something I'm really proud of. So I can, I know now I can connect with six-year-olds and five-year-olds and also 75-year-olds. So I've got this ability to communicate and I now think, well, how can I reach more people? What's the next step? Um, and I suppose, you know, my dream is to really build on the P stuff, like trying to get every school across the UK doing a 20-minute workout or 15-minute body coach workout every day. And I think the power that would have on their children and the impact it would have would be huge. So I'd love to go back on the road and visit schools and you know, experience, you know, firsthand the impact it's having. Because for me, I love the YouTube views, but I also need the impact. I need to see real people and experience like contact because I like to communicate with people in real life as well. And so the minute I can, I'll be back on the road doing a UK tour, visiting schools and, you know, just spreading that message of positivity and exercise and health and fitness. Can't you get the the government to change or the schools to change that it has to be that they do 20 minutes, that every single school every day has to do 20 minutes? I'm sure you can change the law. You and Marcus, I want you and Marcus to do something together as well, because I think the two of you could be so powerful, him with his food for the kids and uh, helping kids out of poverty and you with keeping them moving. I think you two should do something together. But you could get the law changed. Well, I think it's amazing what he done to be to be such a young person with such passion and drive to make that such like what an impact he had. It's it's so well deserved and that MBA, you know, it's exactly what I was hoping he was going to get that. So well done to Marcus. Um, for me, I don't need to actually speak to like the government and get things changed. It just as long as the schools, you know, each school I've realised has the has the ability to change their timetable and to put in fitness and exercise. So as long as there's one person like an ambassador or someone who really champions fitness within that school, they can make the impact themselves. So it's about you know getting teachers and heads to really see the benefits of it and just i'm sure they all saw a massive improvement in their children's health and their mindset when they were doing the exercise and the the p with joe stuff so hopefully they'll you know and i know a lot of schools are they're still doing it they do the youtube ones they jump in and do the sort of five minute and the eight minute workouts that i've got on there so although it'd be great for it to be law i I don't want to spend 10 years of my life getting knocked back when i can just continue to make impact today with you know youtube and with digital and you know visiting schools and doing as much as i can with that and that's the other thing is you worked so hard and raising money for the nhs as well i just feel that like I, again, i'm going to say it again i'm going to use the word generous you're generous to a fault well it felt like the right thing to do you know i was 
basically, I, I, I was getting all these views, millions and millions of views. And I looked, and my brother said, like, you need to see what's happening with the AdSense. So you get, obviously, advertising revenue on the videos, right? Google give you, like, a little little bit of advertising revenue per view or whatever. And it was such a big number. I said, I can't, I can't, it doesn't feel right. I don't want people to think that I've tried to do this to benefit financially. It was never that intention. So the minute I saw what was happening, I said, right, let's donate this money to the NHS Charities Fund. And it was going up. We raised about... £250,000 from the YouTube views and then my brother halfway through said why don't we do PE with Joe t-shirts so we had this little logo designed and we printed them out and it was like print on demand and we sold like 70000 so altogether we raised £580,000 for the wow. charity which is wonderful and I, it was nice because it was like a community thing I kept saying the more views we get the more t-shirts we sell the more money we raise and I really think that helped people have that emotional connection to come back and do more so it was a really lovely thing and I, I, I felt wonderful given that the, what, the day I transferred that money I thought what an amazing thing that I turned a YouTube stream into £580,000 Oh my word that's a vast amount of money Joe I know it's, it's whopping I kept growing I was thinking <laughs> when's it going to end when's it going to stop but you know 18 weeks of views and all those t-shirts that got sold it really it was it was incredible but that, like I said I didn't I didn't know we were going to raise that much money I just thought it'd be nice to sort of donate what we what we earned from the YouTube views but yeah I mean good idea with the t-shirts Nikki Oh, I just love the way you are about your family as well. It's just so lovely. It is. I'm gonna and I'll I'll always say it. I think I'll I'm gonna call you Sir Generous Joe. Hey, that works. Oh, thank you. I can see it now. <laughs> it works. Um, so favorite dressing up outfit has to be dot 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 what? Oh, I mean the the favorite was probably the hottest and the most uncomfortable one was the WWF um, panda suit. They sent me the big <laughs> panda suit with a huge furry head, massive head, you couldn't see through it, and I'd done a full workout and that. So when I look back, I'm like, what a, what a plonker, but I did did laugh. It really made people laugh, didn't it? And I'd done the Spider-Man, I was Superman. I ran out of, I ran out of Marvel heroes because I went through the whole collection. I had so many. Weren't you Scooby-Doo? I was, oh, yeah, I was Scooby-Doo, I was a frog. Yes. And I was buying them each week, so I was ordering them, thinking, I need one more, like, it will come to an end soon. And I kept ordering them, and in the end, I was buying, like, three or four at a time, because I thought, I know I'm going to be doing this for weeks to come, so I ended up buying 18 fancy dress outfits. Where are they now? Well, I gave a few to my mum, because she wanted to, like, take them to, if she ever has a party, but they're just in a cupboard. Oh, I see. Sorry, that's no, stop. I thought you meant I gave a few to my mum, because she wants to dress up as Scooby-Doo just on the Saturday night. She thought, why not? <laughs> she loves a fancy dress. But the thing is, you know, they sweat, they stink. I, sw- I sweat so much in all of them. I was like, I don't, I don't, I thought, I don't know anyone that's going to want to wear them after I've worn them. You should just, well, you can donate them to a char- do a charity auction of the fancy dressed outfits. Can you imagine how much they'd raise? Oh, I'd feel terrible, though. They're, honestly, they're so smelly, because I just sweat in it. Put took it down and just put it in a bin, like in a bag. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't clean them or anything, so they're probably really smelly. Oh, just will you do another one in the Scooby Doo? Because that I don't know why I just that that one tickled me. It just made me laugh. You know, you're you're a complete joy. The first time I met you, and we have, were having to do crazy stuff on a live TV show, and um and throughout lockdown, the the most incredible thing that I can't get over is the minute I message you, and I'm one in millions of people that know you but the minute I whatsapp you you reply instantly you're only ever good and kind and may only ever goodness and kindness follow you wherever you go because I think you are a 
blessing to this world, Joe. And and my love to Rosie and to Indy and Molly and your brother, who sounds amazing, and your mum and dad as well. Oh, thank you so much, Gabby. You've always been so supportive, and I really really appreciate you know all the interviews you've done over the past because it's helped. You know, especially with the lockdown stuff, you you helped me get more people taking part as well. So for everyone that helped and everyone that took part, thank you for making it so special. And I you know I also thank everyone that who nominated me for the MBE because what a wonderful thing to receive. Oh, it's fantastic. Bless you, my lovely, and I'll speak to you again very soon. Thanks for doing this. Thank you so much. Have a lovely day. See you soon. That Gabby Roslin podcast is proudly produced by Cameo Productions. Music by Beth Macari. Please press the subscribe button and it will come straight to your phone on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you choose to listen. Also, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It's-